All right. Some theories have been passed around. Now, I have an opinion about what you've just done. In my opinion, you've just judged. You've just made a judgment. And we, we use this term and this idea in several different ways in uh, the English language and the way it was used in the Bible as well. So I want to just look at a couple of those. So when I ask you to find, when I ask you to tell me a story about or tell, to figure out a story about that picture, some of you made an observation and you formed an opinion. Someone was riding a bike, they rode into wet cement, it got stuck, they walked away. Kind of just cut and dry, that's what happened, that's what I think happened. It's, it's an opinion, it's in a point of view, it's making a decision, it's having deductive reasoning. We, when we say someone has good judgment, we're talking about this sort of judgment. It's making a decision. I have judged that it is good for me to go on vacation, right? It's, that's, you know, it's good judgment, right? That's one way that we talk about judgment. It's something that's pleasant or unpleasant, correct, incorrect, good, bad, whatever, right? And, and that's what some of us here did. We, we saw what happened. We formed an opinion about it, and that's what it was. Now, some of us maybe took like a step beyond that, and some of us started thinking about some of the legal ramifications that were going involved. Who, is there anyone that thought about legal ramifications? Anyone think about liability? Who was responsible for this? Whose fault it was? Some of some of us did that. Like, we thought about, man, who's, who is responsible for this? Was it, the, was it the bike, the person who was riding the bike? They were, you know, being negligent. Maybe they owe the landowner's compensation for this concrete that they wrecked. Or maybe it was the landowner being irresponsible. They didn't put up any kind of signs or cones around their driveway. They just left it out there for anyone to ride their bike on. So some of us thought about the legal aspects potentially involved. And, of course, that's a second way that we talk about or use the term judgment. We, t we say like a, a judge or a magistrate made an official judgment or ruling. And, and that's, that's an opinion, but there's a little more weight to it, right? It's, it's official, it has binding power. You could be imprisoned or fined if you don't follow through on the judgment that was given. So it's a, it's a decision, but it's, a, it's another step in the way. So, so a second way we use judgment or that term is in a legal technical sense. But then some of us went even further than that. We like, made a decision, we formed a theory, we decided what we thought, we discerned the situation, and maybe we thought about the legal ramifications, but we went beyond both of those, and we made some predictions about what might have motivated the people to do such a thing. We thought about what sort of person might do something like this, right? What, what kind of, per, like, what, what's, what category of person would drive a bike and get it stuck into wet cement? So, and this is the third kind of judgment, which is we, we see something, we make an observation, and then we apply motive to it. We categorize it. We label. Maybe we even demonize it. And so a lot of times this comes with all kinds of names, right? What a denigrate, you know? What an irresponsible person would ride their bike. They probably didn't have a license. They probably didn't have their license for a reason. They were doing all kinds of other stuff, and they had their license taken away, so they're on a bike, and they're still irresponsible, right? So that, 
That could be a whole line of judgment. I don't know if anyone thought that or that came to mind, but, you know, that, that would be this third kind of judgment. Or maybe someone else maybe thought, man, this landowner, some rich guy is entitled and doesn't think he has to look out for the little guy, and so he didn't put any kind of cone up. And that person that went in the bike, they probably ended up in the hospital, and they probably don't want to take care, right? So this is a whole other line of judgment. So th- this third type is giving, you know, putting our motive, our reasons on someone else's action. And I think this, is the, this third type is the kind that Jesus is talking about in Matthew chapter 7. I don't think he's saying don't have an opinion. Like, whatever you do, don't make any decisions, or else people will make decisions again. Like, it's incoherent. It doesn't even make any sense in the text itself. I mean, you, you would have to make a decision about what Jesus is saying in order to have the decision that he doesn't want us to make any decisions, right? It just doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't, it's incoherent, right? And if you think even just about what Don preached about last week in Matthew chapter 5, where Jesus says, listen, you have heard you only have to do this, but I say to you it's actually this. I mean, we have to use this first piece, this first way of, of discernment and deciding and making decisions and having an opinion just to figure that out. So it's not the first one. And I really, really, really don't think he's saying, you know, you shouldn't have a legal system. Whatever you do, like, don't have any judges, don't have any lawyers. Well, maybe some people would say we shouldn't have any lawyers, but, like, you know, I don't think Jesus is saying you shouldn't have any any kind of legal system or any justice system at all. That's not really what he's getting at here. He's getting at this third kind. He's saying sort of like what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 4 when he talks about um, being judged. Um, He he says, my conscience is clear, but that doesn't make me innocent, right? It's the Lord who judges me. Therefore, the the command he gives, therefore, in verse 5, judge nothing until the appointed time. Wait until the Lord comes. And then this text, he will bring to light what was hidden in darkness and will expose the motives of the heart. That's the kind of judging that I think Jesus is talking about. It's it's the kind of judging that only God has access to. It's It's the kind of judging that only God really has the authority to do. And in a way, when we categorize and label and demonize and so on, we're sort of stepping into God's place, into God's role. C.S. Lewis writes about this in Mere Christianity. This is why Christians are told not to judge, he says. We see only the results which a man's choices make out of his raw material, but God doesn't judge him on the raw material at all, but on what he has done with it. So so Jesus is talking about this third form, and you know, in in my experience, at least in, in my life, I when I'm in a tough or difficult, sticky, awkward situation, when I make a big mistake, I really want people to sort of give me the benefit of the doubt, to sort of understand, as C.S. Lewis says, the material of my life, all the things that went into making this decision that maybe, albeit, wasn't a good one or wasn't a, wasn't a wise one, but like, I want people to sort of understand the circumstances around it and to kind of, you know, give me the benefit of the doubt and, and, and to give me grace. Um, I remember when we moved um, back to Walla Walla from Yakima, we were scouring the neighborhoods for boxes, and we went, th- we went through one alley um, behind kind of a, a strip mall, and there was a whole 
area full of boxes. And we ended up getting like several dozen uh, liquor boxes, right? And so I remember thinking to myself as I was packing these up, and it's probably like a little bit of a naive fear. Um, so I had, you know, 70 boxes of, <laughs> of this, you know, different kinds of liquor that I was packing our, you know, knickknacks in. But I remember thinking to myself, man, if someone sees this and thinks the wrong thing, like, I don't know how I'm going to explain this. And, you know, luckily I didn't have any uncomfortable, you know, confrontations. But, but, you know, I think that when we, we, when we end up in situations where we've made a mistake or it's awkward, we want to, get, want to be given the benefit of the doubt. But at the same time, I think that our tendency is like when we see other people in that same situation, it's sort of gratifying to just put them in the category and label them and say how it is on the surface. And, well, they did that because they're just a fundamentally bad person. You know, I made a momentary mistake. It was an accident. It's not indicative of my character. It was totally out of character as a momentary mistake. But that guy, he's a criminal, and he deserves everything he's got coming. All right? Sort of a different way that we want to be related to. And I think, of course, in, in relationships, this kind of judgment is pretty corrosive. You know, if it's, if it's explicit, if it's spoken out in terms of shaming or demonization or contempt, if it's given out, the relationship is either really contentious and there's lots of fighting and kind of negativity that's passed around really openly, or in, in like an abusive relationship, that's just a one-way street, right? It's one person just gets dumped on continually, and, and neither of those are are healthy at all. Or in, in that situation, if uh, on the opposite, and if it's not explicitly said, if it's just kind of held implicitly and one person keeps it a secret and they don't ever acknowledge it, well, there may be peace, but there's not intimacy, right? One person is carrying around all this negativity and judgment that they're dumping on the other person. I mean, that, that'll kind of come out in their behavior, like there'll be weird stuff that they're doing that the other person won't understand, and maybe then they'll form judgments about this person. It's just really corrosive to relationships, categorizing, demonizing, condemning, giving people motives for their actions. So Jesus says, don't judge, or you too will be judged, for in the same way you judge others you'll be judged. The measure you use is the measure you'll get. And, and you know, for me, my first impulse when I read this text is, is to think about God's judgment, to think of this as like Jesus giving a warning. Listen, if you do this, if you treat people this way, if you look down on people and put them in boxes and categorize them and demonize them and write them off, then, like, it's going to come around. Like, how can you expect God to… to to give you grace, and then you don't pass it on to other people. It sort of reminds me of how he teaches us to pray in, in the previous chapter, Matthew chapter 6. One of the phrases in the Lord's Prayer is, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. More literally, God, you must forgive us in the same way we forgive those who sin against us. God, I want you to treat me in the same way that I'm treating people around me who are hurting me. It's, it's heavy stuff. 
And, so, and, I, and I don't have any quarrel with that way of looking at the text, kind of looking at it as a warning from Jesus, but I kind of think there's something more yet. I was in Walmart, I think it was in the last year at some point, I was there shopping in Walmart, and I saw someone who was there, this lady who was there with her kids, and they were dressed in, I don't know, clothes that I probably would, Paige would be upset with me if I wore to Walmart. They, you know, it looked like they were maybe like clothes that you would sleep in, like, I, I don't really know, but she would probably be uh, irritated with me if I showed up at Walmart like that. And so, I, you know, I just saw, we kind of walked in at the same time, and then we kept on crossing paths, right, when we were in the store. And you've seen, that's happened to you, right? At the grocery store, you see someone, and just, it's not like you're following each other, but you just keep on seeing the same person over and over. Well, that kept on happening with me and this lady and her kids. And each time I crossed their path, I sort of heard this stuff that was coming out of her mouth towards her kids, like this kind of negative, shaming kind of, you're so terrible, you're not very smart, on and on, like kind of just negative stuff. And then at one point, I came around the corner of an aisle, and I heard her just laying into them, just going like all out. I don't know really what had happened, what they had done, or what I don't, I don't really know what had happened before, but she was just going off on how horrible they were, how they weren't going to ever make it or do anything in life, and this is why, blah, 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 and you're such a blah, 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 blah. It was just like kind of way over the top, really, really screaming. And there were sort of several other people around who were kind of had sort of, they were, yes, I'm really examining this milk a lot, but they were really looking out the corner of their eyes to see this thing that was happening. And I'm confessing to you now, right? I'm confessing to you now. I, I remember thinking to myself, man, like it's almost like she's wanting everyone to see this and to like kind of think that she's a really great parent. Like she's wanting everyone to watch this scene that she's making. But man, I bet when she gets home, I bet she just lays on the couch and doesn't do anything. I bet she doesn't play with her kids. I bet she, they hardly even know anything about her. I bet she just watches TV and doesn't like, I had this whole line of judgment in my mind about what her life was like and about what was going into this and why this was, ha I had a whole huge story that was painting in my mind. And the truth is, the truth is that I think when I saw her yelling at her kids, I saw me, you know? I think when, when I saw her but when I was judging her for being harsh, I was judging myself. Because, I mean, there's times when I've let my anger get out of control and I've said things to Finn that I've regretted. And more, more than once, I've had to go back to him later and say, I'm sorry, I, I'm sorry I said that. I'm sorry I was so upset. I'm sorry I yelled. I've had to, like, apologize for the way I had acted. And when I saw her, I saw me. In psychology, they call this projection. We walk around and we see all these problems that are going on out there, but the truth is that somehow they, they all, if not, or many, if not all of them, come back to something in our own lives, maybe something that we haven't even acknowledged or can't yet acknowledge 
about our lives. And so we judge it, and we categorize it, and we condemn it, and we put it in a box, and we demonize it all in an effort to keep it far away from what we sort of know is going on in here. We have all these sayings in English that kind of get at this idea. You know, the pot calling the kettle black is an old one, or it takes one to know one, right? Like, I mean, we, we know this happens. This is an old human thing. This happens to everyone. And so Jesus says, don't judge or you'll be judged. The measure you give is the measure you'll get. With the same judgment you judge others, you will be judged. Well, yeah, because we're doing it to ourselves. It's going on in our own hearts against ourselves. And so I think in a way when we go around seeing specks in everyone's eyes, to, to borrow a term from the next part of the passage, like we go around and we constantly are seeing specks in a certain area of life. We're constantly seeing people with problems in this area. It might be God's way of saying, you need to take a look. You need to take a look because you, you, you might have something there yourself. And of course, this second metaphor that Jesus gives in this passage is, is totally ridiculous, right? Why do you point out the speck of sawdust in your neighbor's eye? Like, why, do you, why do you look at that? And I think I have the text here on the screen. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your, in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take out of the speck out of your eye when you have that in your own? And, and so, some people have translated the, the plank to be a beam, like a, a rafter in a house. Like it's, it's kind of way over the top. You hypocrite, he says. First, take the plank out of your own eye, then you can see clearly enough to help your brother. And, and it's, it's a ridiculous, way, way over the top metaphor. It's hyperbole. He's way overstating the point to make a point. It's, it's sort of like it's a bit of theater on Jesus' part, because of course this would never happen, and yet it happens all the time to us, right? Somehow what's going on in our own lives is connected to the people and the way that we judge others. And, and there's just a truth that when we deal with our own stuff, when we work through our own junk, when we find healing and, and work through sin, that gives us a certain amount of authority to speak about other things. I mean, Jesus acknowledges this in John chapter 8 when, when with the woman caught in adultery, he says, whoever is without sin cast the first stone. There's sort of a connection between our own behavior and our authority to sort of look at and help other people. So it's, it's a prerequisite. And, he, and he's not saying, like, whatever you do, ignore all the sawdust you see. Like, if you see any sawdust in anywhere, just ignore it, act like it's not there. You should celebrate sawdust. Like, everyone should cheer and hooray and say, thank you for sawdust in our eyes. Like, no, like, he's not saying that. He's saying it's great to help each other. It just doesn't work if you have bigger issues yourself. But again, I, I think that there's something even a little bit deeper here beyond just the power and authority dynamic. I think that the truth is that when we 
go through healing, when we face darkness in our own lives, when we confess it, when we take the risk of exposing ourselves to people that we care about and love, when we get accountability, when we receive grace and mercy from God, when we see change in our lives, when we go through that process, I don't think we can help but be patient and empathetic and compassionate and gentle with people around us who are going through similar things. I don't think we can help it but, but to trust God more and quit trying to control other people or control the situation. And again, I, I don't think this means that we, we can't have an opinion or we don't have a point of view, but rather that we just take our time with people. We're gentle with people. I mean, if, if, if any of us here have worked through an issue and gone through the hard stuff and, and gone from one place where, man, I, I was habitually doing this, but now I don't do that, and if, if we go through that process and end up on the other side entitled and arrogant about how great I am for being able to do this and how hard of work it was and how I can do it and so can everyone else, and so I'm going to judge till the cows come home, you can be guaranteed that this perspective is completely absent of Jesus Completely, completely absent of grace. It's not, it's not even needed. So there's, there's amazing compassion that comes when we receive grace ourselves. There's a story uh, that I love that is familiar to, to probably the vast majority of us. The story of Israel making its way out of slavery They've been in slavery for multiple centuries. God raises up this leader to kind of take control and to lead them out of slavery. And after the, the ten plagues and the crossing of the Red Sea, they wind up, this whole nation of people, they wind up hanging out, right, in the desert, in the wilderness. And, and the story goes that they're there for a whole generation, 40 years, long, long time. And there's, you know, lots of theological conversations and reasons about why that was the case. There's you know, figures that involve the numbers and how that was symbolic and so on. And, you know, I think, I think about it in terms of a, a little more practically, and I think about this, this group of people and what God's purpose for them was. I mean, I, I don't think God rescued them because of something innately wonderful in them, but I think He did rescue them for a purpose. You know, there's this phrase that shows up throughout the Old Testament uh, this idea of, of Israel being a light to the nations. You read through the Psalms, you read through the prophets, you read about like how all the nations will join in and sing. All the nations will come and, and worship God together. There's this idea, this image of, of Israel becoming this, this key people who through them, everyone else will see what God is like and they'll know what He's like through them. And so I sort of see like this wilderness experience as kind of like a preparation for the beginnings of that. It's almost like, you know, boot camp in the desert. And God's teaching them, all right, like you learned all this stuff when you were in slavery in Egypt. You maybe learned all these kind of customs and different things about this religion, but I want you to live this way so that you are a light, so you show people what I'm like. And so you read through Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. I mean, you have all kinds of commands and instructions and do this, do this, and do this, and do it how, like all these different. And I think a big part of that is God's trying to teach them how to be a light, how to show other people what He's like. 
And a phrase that shows up, a key phrase that shows up in many of these books early on is, is God inviting or reminding Israel to look out for people that are outsiders, to look out for the people that are different than them, look out for the people that talk different, think different, have different judgments, opinions, beliefs, have different practices, do things in ways that God is not inviting them to do. And consistently, consistently, God says, you need to watch out for them, take care of them, welcome them as your own people. And then there's this refrain over and over and over again, for you yourself are just like them. Look out for all these people that are different than you, that aren't part of your tribe, that don't do it. You look out for them because you're no different. You yourself are foreigners. It's almost like as if God's goal to them is, is for them to come to the place where they say, yeah, he, he's, not, he, he's not an alien. He's my neighbor. She's not like a criminal, deadbeat, horrible person. She's my neighbor. And if God loved me and wanted me, gave grace to me exactly as I am, then I want to be a part of doing that the same way to other people. So I want you to get your, your card out, a card you found before. If you didn't find one before, you can snag another one. Get a card and a, and a pen. And on your card, I want you to write this uh, on the screen. Don't fill it in yet. Just write, line is my neighbor. I want to talk to you for a minute before you fill it in. But go ahead and write that. Blank is my neighbor. And, and maybe over the course of this sermon, you've just, you've been, someone's been coming into your mind. You've been thinking about this situation and this person that you've kind of been having maybe some of these thoughts about, someone that you've written off or categorized, demonized, determined what was motivating them, what was in their hearts, why, why, why they were doing such a crazy thing that you couldn't understand. Maybe you had a person that kept on coming into your mind, a family member, or a friend. Or maybe for you, like as, I, as we were working through this, you were thinking about a whole group of people, a whole group of people, people that think a certain way, act a certain way, a group of people that look a certain way, people that want to marry certain people, other people. Maybe you don't think they ought to marry. Maybe people that watch a certain like cable news show on their TV a lot. Maybe there's categories of people that come to mind of like, yeah, that, those people I have a difficult time with. And I want you to write, write that person's name or that group's name. Or if you feel like there's, you know, you don't want people around you to see, you could write initials or write a symbol that represents that. And I want us to uh, just take a moment and pray over those cars. You just keep your car. There's nothing for you to, to do with it here this morning. I just want you to keep that car. Maybe stick it in your Bible or stick it in your wallet. But let's pray for a moment over these people. Jesus, it feels good sometimes to remind ourselves how good we are by pushing other people down. 
we confess to you this morning that it feels good sometimes to categorize and to, and to condemn and to build ourselves up at the expense of others. And Jesus, this morning I pray that that, that impulse that's within all of us would not blind us from the ways that you want to work in our lives, from the ways that you want to help us grow. Jesus, I pray that you, uh, that as we receive and see your grace working in our lives, that we will uh, pass on that grace, that we'll become benefactors as well. Jesus, there's people in our lives, that some of them we've written down on these uh, pieces of paper, there's people in our lives whom we um, criticize and judge, some of these people we've shamed outwardly, some of these people we've kept silent about and we've just carried around anger and frustration and bitterness in our hearts about them. And Jesus, this morning, we want to reclaim their humanity. We want to remember that just as they may be strangers to us, we were, and in many ways are, strangers to you. Be with us now. May we be your hands and feet on earth. May we embody this sermon that you gave so long ago. Bless this group. Bless our church. Amen.